This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. and a lot of the best companies, best brands should be solving the problem. I know that there are some really big brands out there that may be just doing something a little bit different, a little bit better. They might have an interesting angle and distribution. Those things, you know, are, are interesting, but those don't excite me. The things that really excite me is that there's a problem and here's the solution. And, you know, just very easy. One plus one equals two. This was Michael Berkowitz, a commodities trader who switched into the fashion world after taking on coat making as a hobby. You heard that correctly. So he basically shifted to another commodity by crafting warm and stylish coats. And while doing so, he has been credited with making quiet luxury a new movement. Launching a quiet luxury brand seems to come with tons of added risk. What gave him the confidence to launch in this flashy world of fashion without that type of branding? Was it data? Was it people he talked to? Was it gut instinct? The answer to that, plus plentiful branding and marketing insights, is what awaits you on this first episode of the new year. And if you think you have not heard of Norwegian Wool, I am sure you have seen their products on HBO's hugely successful show, Succession which has outfitted their cast with Norwegian wool and even mentioned the brand by name. But before we dive in, I'd like to share with you that we have a few spots in my one-on-one -on -one mentorship program, as well as our Hitting the Mark circle group available, where we meet monthly to strategize and learn from each other as creative entrepreneurs. The modest income from this is what powers the podcast you like so much. And It is what keeps it advertising free. So hop on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to grow professionally this year while giving back to HTM. And now, without further ado, over to my inspiring conversation with Michael. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Fabian. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you. So you launched your high-end line of coats almost 10 years ago. You started it as a hobby. Uh, while you were a commodities trader. So that already is very different. <laughs> it's And it's kind of funny because selling codes in today's market could almost be seen as you still trading commodities because it is such a common product category. What made you pick up code making as a hobby and then subsequently plunge fully into it? It's It's not a very common route to take. <laughs> sure. So you actually, I'm going to comment the one thing you said and then answer your question. I, I sometimes joke with my my team that I used to be in commodities and I left that world behind. And what I mean by that is that, yes, while there are a lot of brands out there selling coats, I guess the actual definition of a commodity is something that is very basic and very much on some sort of exchange. So if you're trading gold or silver, you know exactly what the quality is and how much it is per ounce, per pound, whatever commodity item you're selling. And in the world of consumer goods, there are commodity coats or commodity clothing, your standard just white polo shirt, your yeah. V-neck blue sweater. I very much believe that we're in the world of premium and luxury, that we're making fewer pieces that are much, much more expensive, but give you a lot more value, a lot more um features and performance than the commodity items. So there was a lot that I pulled from that world in terms of how to run a business and thinking about how consumers thinking about it. And I actually believe that uh, coming as an outsider opened a lot of doors for us. And especially in the design world, we were thinking about coats and outerwear as a consumer rather than as some fancy designer in their design house in New York or Milan or Paris. So that actually all came out really nicely. But my joke is, is that we're no longer in commodities. These are specialty items that really have to transcend commodity items. But to answer your question directly, um, really, it, it came about from a real need. I'm a big believer in a lot of the best companies, best brands should be solving the problem. I know that there are some really big brands out there that may be just doing something a little bit different, a little bit better. They might have an interesting angle and distribution. 
those things, you know, are, are interesting, but those don't excite me. The things that really excite me is that there's a problem and here's the solution. And, you know, just very easy. One plus one equals two. And for me, it was a very simple problem. I, as a commodities trader, I used to go into the city every day um, and had to dress kind of nicely. I wasn't a suit and tie guy most days, but, you know, mo- like the nice business casual that most of us go and I'll throw in yeah. a sport jacket a lot and a nice sweater. And you wanted to look presentable, especially I was one of the youngest guys in the firm. So I always felt like my words were being judged a little bit more closely <laughs> or being scrutinized. And in the world of finance and business, you walk into a meeting, everyone sums you up right away. Before you even open your mouth, are you for real? Are you the guy that could get the deal done? Can you break through walls to make something happen? Yeah. And my problem was is that my warm coats were these big, big puffer coats that looked like I was about to go on an Arctic mission. <laughs> I got one, I got some of those, yeah. Yeah, and they're great if you're on a, you know, by yourself just with your kids <laughs> in your backyard, you know, that that that's fine. But if you're gonna be seen and you're trying to tell your story and you wanna look sophisticated and and give off this impression of confidence and a, a real go-getter deal guy, you know, you want to look like you're, you're able to conquer 45 degree weather and that 45 degree weather doesn't conquer you. So, um, nice. you know, yeah. you don't want to look like the Michelin man, right? <laughs> well, you, absolutely. I think the Michelin man is now skinnier because, uh, I think they redid him, but, uh, that's, that's absolutely right. You do not want to look luck in looking like the Michelin man. You do not want to look like that. Uh, you're, you're about to head to Antarctica when you're just walking through New York, London or Paris, whatever city you're in. Yeah. And, um, so, and my, my beautiful coats that I had from Italy looked great, but, if it did get a little bit chilly, you were freezing. If it got a little bit wet, you know, rain, sleet, snow, any of that, you smelled like wet sheep for the rest of the day. Um, and it'll get soaked. I remember putting on these coats. If you got wet and then you put your coat back on, it's this worst, terrible feeling that you're putting on this wet sheep around you because it soaks it in. Um, everything about the beautiful cashmere wool coats out of Italy were like totally devoid of performance. The, the hand pockets were so narrow and so shallow. Mm-hmm. And in these awkward positions, no one ever put their hand there. It was designed <laughs> on paper. It was no yeah. one actually ever asked, where would you like to keep your hands nice, warm and cozy? So that was a real problem because I felt like I either compromised on my look or I compromised on my warmth and I'll come into the office or I'll go to, you know, Zurich and I would already be sneezing and coughing because uh, I, I wasn't properly dressed. So that simple problem, when I started to hear other people complaining of the same thing, I felt like there's got to be a solution. And that's that. That's really what got me going. I felt like if there are other people out there that are having the same problem I have and it should be something that's surmountable, I wanted to start testing it out. But Michael, it, it, it comes so naturally to you how you say that but in reality you know you're you're a commodities trader you're a guy you're in new york city and you're like oh i'm gonna fix this problem in the fashion world which is overly saturated with big brands and you're like i'm just gonna start this as a hobby how do you even start this as a hobby well nothing was easy i I will admit that (laughs) nothing is easy and i'm sure starting any business isn't easy but this was perhaps particularly hard because getting into Italian manufacturing, these are not worlds that are very open to new players coming in. They want history. They They want, yeah, yeah, it's not even just about paying. They want to make sure that uh, you're going to stay with them. They don't want you to, you know, work with them for a season and move everything over to Asian manufacturing. They want to know that you're here for real. So coming in as a new guy is certainly not easy. And, you know, getting into the best fabric mills uh, across the northern parts of Italy and meeting. We did a lot of work in Norway with their fashion institutes to see what they were doing, not so much in the luxe world, but to understand what they were creating for outdoors ski wear and their very technical outerwear. And the whole idea of Norwegian wool was really to merge two worlds that don't typically talk. Scandinavians for their outdoor stuff and Italians for their beautiful craftsmanship and and uh, styling and and put them into a room and say, get the best from both of your worlds and put it together to make this ultimate uh, piece. So, no, it wasn't easy, but I think some of it was, you know, as a commodities trader, you're always trying to solve problems, figure out arbitrages, figure out if there was a demand for something that wasn't being met. So it wasn't a complete 80. You know, if we felt that there was a need for more uh, catalytic converters in America, there's going to be more need for palladium. So let's find, you know, more raw materials and sources for that. So that 
general just solving problems and the finding resourcefulness and yeah yeah and it's you know it, it's most probably stating it was a hobby is a little bit understating because you must probably get into it saying hey if there's a problem we can fix let's monetize it later yeah well the other thing that actually helped was that i had to make 200 pieces for my very first sampling <laughs> that was what the factory required so i sort of had to sell through them yeah. and i i went into it thinking hey if it takes me 10 years to sell it it was a fun hobby but uh stick to my day job but I actually sold through all 200 in just um probably like two to three months and that was just doing this nights and weekends and we actually sold out where stores wanted more than what we had and that's when i realized we were actually onto something that's awesome that's that's absolutely fantastic i can i can relate uh with my product startup as we just ordered 500 products and now i'm in that night and weekend mode <laughs> where i'm like is this feasible? And we will see. But back to back to um, back to your brand because it is extremely interesting um, the way that the way that you refer to. So you're you're an understated luxury brand, uh, quiet luxury as the term goes. It's it's a trend which you have been credited as playing a big part in in, in setting that trend. Um, yeah. Launching a quiet luxury brand seems to come with an added, you know, like just tons of added risk, right? What gave you the confidence to launch in this really flashy world of fashion without that type of branding? Was it data? Was it people you talked to? Was it gut instinct? A combination. I, I really think that what's happened over the years is that the fashion leaders have gone a little bit more removed each passing year from their consumer. And where really nice fashion used to have a hint of edginess, you would take really beautiful products, really great quality, and have a hint of edginess so that you show that you care about how you look, you're thinking about it, has just gone off the deep end for many, many other brands. And um, because of the world of globalization and emerging markets, and tons of new money coming in from different places that usually didn't really affect design as much as it is now. A lot of brands are rushing to get those newer markets and are, are forgetting about their core customers. And the average customer for, for that we're targeting, the business professional man or woman who could work in a whole array of different types of professions, but wants to look good, wants to look elevated, wants to look fashionable and stylish. But within the world of normal clothing and cares about real things and, and, and wet weather doesn't want to get wet and cold weather doesn't want to get cold. What we were seeing, what I was seeing was that more and more of the brands were just forgetting about this and, and forgetting about the basics. Uh, you know, uh, a coat should keep you warm. I mean, a coat should be something that you wear when it's wet and, and sleeting and snowing and the coat should be protecting you. You shouldn't be worried about protecting your coat because it's from some delicate material or something like that. So you, <laughs> you're, you're, you're turning it inside out so that you could actually you know, like cover your coat. That, that just seems so ridiculous that if an alien would come from outer space and look at it, they would be so confused. Um, what, what is going on that you're protecting your coat? So I just think that what's happened is that a lot of the the leaders in the industry have have gone further and further away. I think 30, 40, 50 years ago, even people who are real students of the best fashion houses and the best fashion schools still had an appreciation for some of these fundamentals. And, and that has been lost. So I think that uh, I really want to stay true to what does my world want? What are my consumers feeling like is being is is not there? There's a white space on the paper. There's a void. And the world of quiet luxury was really where there were very, very few players. And there are a couple of players out there um, that are quite big, but for the most part, they're in the world of just regular clothing. And that, that's fantastic. But it was specifically in outerwear, the warmest, best down coats out there, are the ones that are the loudest. And those brands are the ones that are actually moving the quickest to becoming louder and louder and louder. And I see what a lot of these brands are coming out with. And I just look around and saying that my own friends, um, and my own colleagues would not wear those. Yeah. And you walk, you walk across uh, the floor of a lot of the big department stores and you're saying most of the shoppers would not wear most of the things that are being offered. And that's where I saw the disconnect. So you're right. It is hard to create something quite luxury because there's less branding. It's, it's less out there to get the credit. If someone's wearing our coat, our branding's just subtle on the sleeve. It's not going to be shouted out to the world. We've had lots and lots of celebrities wearing it and you wouldn't necessarily know that because it's not that loud. So that 
that is harder. But at the end of the day, that's that is what our customer wants, and we have to stick to that. And ultimately, it has it, it has worked. We had to yeah. take a little bit longer to get there, but it absolutely worked. Well, and that loss, that immediate loss, where it's like, well, we can't see the brand that someone's wearing. In the end, is actually your ultimate gain, right? So, because you 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 fully understood something that just while you were talking came to me um, quite logically. Like when I'm, especially in Europe, right? There's a different there's a different fashion sense. Um, well, and in New York, <laughs> I'm I'm in LA. That fashion sense is all gone. But um, on the on the East Coast and in Europe, right? You walk you walk into a meeting. And people, people judge you, right? Obviously, you know, like, you know, by the way that you come across, by, by your manners, by, by the way you look, by the, what you, what you wear. And if you do wear something where you have a big logo on it, or you have a pattern on it, or, um, it, it you, it makes it so easy to be judged by that, by that brand. Oh, he's the guy who wore that brand. Where if you just have something that looks amazingly stylish and good, that, that is overlooked. That's not even a question anymore of like, you know, like what brand he wears. It, it just looks good and that on that person. So it's actually really interesting. I never thought about this. Sure. I, I actually, I would tell you that my big belief is that someone who's confident wants to tell their own story. Yeah. And you walk into a room, whether it's professional with the business colleagues or you're at a dinner party, wherever you are. If you have a job that you're proud of, if you have a family that you're proud of, if you have a life that you're living that you think is something that you're proud of, you want to wear your own story. And it's actually a sign of lack of confidence if you have to identify with someone else's brand, that that's you are someone else's brand. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing to like a brand. It's one thing to think that they make beautiful products. But if you're buying a sweatshirt that is a nothing special sweatshirt, but it just the quality is nothing special. Everything about it's nothing special, but just has a big name across the the front. It it, it means something about you that that's what you're trying to identify someone else. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would I would say that they're better off if that's the case. You should spend the money on therapy because you know you <laughs> you really you, you need to. Uh, your but if if again if you like it you think it looks beautiful absolutely but if yeah. you're just buying it to identify another brand you, you you're not doing yourself in your own story a service and and of course this can go I I can come to the defense of some brands right I can come to the defense of a of a Patagonia where people want to wear it because they want to make a statement how they feel about nature and how they feel about you know like they're belonging to something that's bigger than the brand that is on their shirt but usually. You're you're absolutely you're absolutely hundred percent correct, and and especially when it comes to your to your high end market, I think I think it's really I think it's really fascinating. Um, how do you juggle though that fine line of understated brand yet superior brand image? Because I mean, Norwegian wool it's obviously stemming from Scandinavia, right? Um, it's it, it's then manufactured in Tuscany, and your headquarters are located in Manhattan. Um, so, so brand perception is still a huge component of your company. So for us, it's a lot about who's wearing it. And over the years, we've been fortunate to just have so many big names wearing it, not just from celebrities and the celebrities that we have wearing it has all been organic. We don't pay celebrities to wear a product. It's Amazing. usually we've had um, Patrick Dempsey, uh, his uh, styling team came over uh, because they were shooting a show that was shooting outdoors and he was tired of being so cold, but wanted to look great. So they had to buy three coats for him right on the spot. Um, we've had many such stories and the authenticity there is something that's very important. But then we're also getting lots of movers and shakers to wear it. When when we had this whole piece in the New York Times, which again was organic about this is the coat to wear to Davos. And it was about how people who are going to Davos, who are outside in the Alps, talking about their businesses, everything from the big Silicon Valley founders to the major banks and the major politicians, and everyone's there and they want to look good, but they're outside. This is the coat they're wearing. That is our brand image. How uh, amazing, right? I mean, that's your entire positioning happening with one article where you're like, this is exactly where you want it to be. That's pretty amazing. But yeah, very much so. But it's still true to our brand that it wasn't about paying people or influencers to wear it. It was about, you know, people who really care about this. And I think that a lot of these people may not be influencers, but they're very influential and people look up to them. A lot of them, a lot of our customers, when they see these people wearing it, since they know they're not getting paid to wear and they know that they have unlimited buying resources, yeah. it must mean that they, they like the product. That is the ultimate endorsement. Yeah. So that, that's how, you know, the word of mouth has, uh, 
gone out there. And the idea that you have to hunt it down, right? It's not that one brand that everyone knows and they're and they're they're talking about it, but it's like it's it's again even 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 PR in that way is understated. Um, talking about understated PR um, naturally brings me to your collaboration with HBO's Succession, um, which has outfitted their entire cast, I believe, or, or a lot of their cast with Norwegian wool. Um, your brand even got mentioned by name during an episode, which was real fun. <laughs> I, I rewatched that yesterday. Um, it seems like it seems like the perfect match, but also somewhat risky because not everyone wants to associate themselves with, with the cast on, on succession. How did it how did it come about that that collaboration? So also uh, organic, they actually had written that scene, the one that you're referring to, where uh, at Kendall's birthday party, Connor doesn't want to take off his coat and Kendall's insulted because it looks like he's not really there to stay. So they had that scene, but they didn't write in what brand because Connor responds that, uh, you know, he won't give in his coat to Kojak because he once had a blank taken from him in uh, Vancouver. <laughs> so when they heard about us, they, they wrote, you know, they wrote the scene and they wrote Norwegian Wool. And that's when the styling team said, oh, this is interesting. We've heard of Norwegian Wool, but now that we've seen it in the show, we got to check it out. So they came over and um, they just showed up at our showroom one day, very understated themselves. And uh, our team just started telling them about some of our product and what makes it special. And they weren't actually obligated to buy anything other than that one coat for that scene. But then they kept on coming back <laughs> to uh, to buy more because they were shooting a lot outside. That, that show does take place a lot outside. And yeah. I actually uh, sat with John Schwartz from their styling team. We did uh, like a post. The, or right, it was actually it was as the they finished shooting, but it was before the last episode had aired. So we sat down doing a lot of reflections, and one of the things I commented that people always ask, do we think the show is accurate or exaggerated? So of course it's Hollywood, and there are a lot of things that are exaggerated. But one of the things I said I think is very true is that a lot of business meetings take place outside of business rooms today. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be on a weekend retreat. It could be at a, in a hotel. It could be outdoors at a cafe. Uh, it could even just be walking a few blocks um, in some city. And that was that is a big theme in the show, that a lot of the talking and a lot of the action and deals happen sort of on the fly in all these different places. And that's why they needed so much outerwear. And I thought that actually is quite accurate. And, you know, you mentioned whether, you know, you want to be associated with them. They are in the show. They're all depicted as uh, awful people. Um, so you wouldn't show the show to your kids as role models. But again, it comes down to, I think a lot of people look at their fashion with a lot of respect because these are supposed to be people who could buy anything. You know, um, yeah. the Roys are supposed to be people that they don't need to impress anyone. Everyone knows they're super successful. And I think a lot of people found that at least their fashion choices is something that they would look up to a lot so it was very influential for us amazing absolutely amazing and um i i read i read in, in in an article about you and and the brand um the following you said from the very start we had to think and do things differently we'll lose if we try to do billboards the way brunello cuccinelli does we always have to think of creative ways of doing things but stay true to our classic styles that are tailored and timeless and that solve a real problem people have not following trends so as most startups face similar problems, being either bootstrapped in the beginning or just having a really, really small budget. Um, in your case, in an industry that is all about big spend and the consumer market, right? We chatted about this a little bit before we went on air, how crazy some of these budgets are, some of these fashion companies. But what were what were some of these tactics that 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 you implemented to get the brand? out there, especially the quiet, understated brand, and especially without a big budget in the beginning, that maybe other listeners could could, could learn from? Like what were some of those some of those marketing strategies that, that you put out? Maybe they weren't even marketing strategies. Maybe it was just something you did from the from the gut where you're like, you know what, like let let's try this, you know, and, and it's sure. so yeah, there's a lot to be said on that. Some of the ideas that come to mind first are product that if you are able to get in front of customers, even just on a small scale, you're, you're, when we first started, we started selling through some little small boutiques across the Northeast Carter, so Boston, the New York, the D.C. area. 
So you knew that you were getting a few pieces on the floor. And even before that, we had to show the pieces to the buyers from those stores. And they were buying from all the other big brands that we all know of. So you had to just absolutely wow with products because, yeah. you know, uh, there's nothing you can say that will impress them. If they touch it, and it doesn't feel good. If they try it on, it doesn't feel good. So we really just had to have this bang out pro- product from day one that it really, the whole concept should be that it looks like there is no down in there, that you're wearing it. And to the outsider, it just looks like a regular wool cashmere coat, but you wearing it on the inside, like, I cannot believe this whole coat is lined with down and it feels so light yet so warm. It just, it, it evoked a lot of emotions when you wear it. It doesn't just mm. keep you warm and dry. It actually makes you, it broadens your shoulders a little bit. You feel good about how you look. You look yourself in the mirror and you feel like you can conquer the day. And I think that's something that even buyers in these stores, it, it's happened to us many times that when you go and they try on something that for the rest of the meeting, they would keep the coat on at a certain point. You're like, you got to give it back to me. You know, I only have a few samples as my first year. Um, walking around the store, talking to other customers, someone could be in there to buy a pair of socks and they're still wearing this coat as they're talking to customers. That, that, that was one way of cutting ahead of the line that the product really just spoke for itself. Yeah. And then, you know, when customers came in and started to shop and they, they, they saw it, um, they felt that it was really special and different. Um, in terms of some marketing tactics, you know, I think it's also realizing that some of like uh, that quote that you have from me, I, I, I agree with myself. I must have <laughs> said that a while ago, but I agree with myself that some of the um, main places that a lot of brands like to market don't necessarily line up with where their customers are at. Or it might just be for general brand awareness. But if you think and you really scratch your head, you could say, if I know who my target audience is, where do they find out about things? Where do they get their information from? Um, what are their lives? And if you actually understand their lives a little bit better than other companies do, if there are other big brands that are targeting those same audiences, but I came from that world, so I know their routine a little bit better, yeah. you're sometimes able to find ways to, to reach them. And sometimes it can even be less expensive or more cost effective than the 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 conventional ways of doing marketing, but you're still reaching the same customer. So we, we did a lot of that. And uh, thankfully, it, it really worked out. Yeah, no, and that's interesting. I always, you know, I always tell founders, not, not you know, sometimes founders, um, founders are their own uh, best target audience, like you are, right? Like you were in that world, you needed the product, you created it for people like you, right? And, and that professional, that professional world is, is pretty, pretty large, right? Um, but if, if you're not that person, you should just create cutout figures of these people that you cater to and put them all in all, everywhere in the office and then just say, this is not about you and I, the marketing that we do. It's for these people. Like, where are they? Who are they? Right. And it's it's something that seems so simple, but it's where most fail. Right. And that's and that's what you saw in your even in your product development early on, where all the big ones that have all the budget, yet they can't figure out how to how to get a pocket in the right angle where you can actually put something in. Like it's the simplest stuff, right? That that you you aced on your codes because you came from the outside in. Um, so it's it's very similar in that way. But let's talk. Let's 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 look back at um, at when you when when you started this with your first two hundred, you know, your your minimum order, and then and you were sitting on these codes, and you had a couple of months to to start selling them. What was if if you if you remember because it's so hard because every entrepreneurial journey like every day is a highlight and every day is like you know like the lowest moment like it just keeps going every day but was there was there one big breakthrough moment where you felt like you know what I think we just made the switch from startup into a brand like this this is real like this is going to be a brand there are probably there are a couple of moments like that, and you're totally right. It is a roller coaster, <laughs> but um, I'm a big believer that people think about things. There's a, an expression: "I didn't think she was hot till my roommate did, and now I can't get her out of my mind." <laughs> and that's a very, very powerful emotion that a lot of people follow others and you know look to see what other people are wearing. So initially, uh, there was one big store, one of our biggest clients that was a little bit hesitant to take our product and hesitant in not the nicest way. And I'll tell you that, in fact, when we met with them, they had four buyers there and each one gave a, an independent reason why Norwegian wool would not be right for them and it's not a good brand. 
And they left by saying, I could pick, they're not taking me. They could take, pick whichever reason they think is, I, I think is right. Then they started hearing about all the other stores having us and having a lot of success. <laughs> and suddenly they looked at us a lot differently. And then they, they did place an order and they were scrambling to play more orders in season because <laughs> things were selling out too soon. And now is when we really felt like, okay, you know, it's not about the intermediary. And again, a lot of those buyers, they're good people. They're trying their best. And some, some of the stores we deal with, the buyers are sh- super, super smart, super, um, uh, sh- you know, just in touch with what their customers want. And some of them actually start off as salespeople on the floors and really did rotations around the floors and they really do get it. And then some were just a little bit further removed and didn't really understand. So those types of uh, situations where you got this uh, pat on your back and realized, okay, you see, the customers really are the ones who dictate what's right and what's wrong. And the customers are the ones that will speak the loudest. And, you know, if if we have the right product and there is a hole to be filled, the customers will find it and, and will want it. It will speak for itself. And when I went back in for the next year's order, they actually give me a big handshake before we even started saying anything else. And it was just like this acknowledgement that, you're right. You're, and you know what? Maybe uh, we should listen to the customer a little bit more. And that that's good advice for yeah. anyone. You could be in food and beverage. You could be in the hospitality. You could be in services. I mean, the basics. Just listen to the customer. You can't just come up with an idea because you want to be an entrepreneur. You can't just come up with an idea that's different. It has to be commercial. It has to be consumer-based based on what you know customers really want. Um, and that has been, you know, when, when we get those affirmations of that it feels really really good yeah that is that is amazing and it's it's very often also very difficult because you hear what a customer needs and you already created a product and you have to pivot and pivot and pivot and pivot until you're finally there and that's 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 the beautiful pivot right there are pivots where you just kind of you know had the wrong idea or or where you messed up and you didn't look at data or you didn't do the research and then there are the other pivots where you just put something out in the market you listen you 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 reinvent you reinnovate and reiterate and then you put it out again um talking about well, can actually i'll, I'll kind of yeah. mention something on that point yeah even in our last uh, number of years we had to adjust a little bit and adapt the winter patterns have changed a bit that oh, winters are a little bit true. later than they used to be. Um, there were two winters in a row earlier on that were these polar vortexes, if you remember, that yeah. it was just below freezing for multiple weeks on end, that there were pictures from anything from Chicago to New York. And, and, and California, even. yeah, we, we were, yeah, we were it, drowning in snow. Yes. It was a nationwide and almost a worldwide thing where the gates of cold weather had opened up and everyone just wanted the heaviest, warmest coats they can find. These last few years... It's actually not as mild as people think it might be. It's more that things are a little bit later, that November is a little bit more of a what October used to be. And yeah, March is what yeah. and March is where we're still getting cold weather and snow. And when you should start thinking of spring, it's still freezing. But what has what that means for us, and I would say there's one more thing. People are also so many of our customers are hybrid working in, in some sense. Many, many have come back to the office, but many may only come in two or three days a week. A lot more people are commuting because they moved out to suburbs. Um, and that goes through an entire world, even not just here. Um, there's a lot more of some days casual, some days dressy. So this lighter weight hybrid versatility versus just heavy warmth has, that's the trend that our customers want a lot more easy. So in many cases, without compromising on the warmth, we've been able to year over year use lighter weight wool shells and lighter weight cashmere shells. So it's still the same coat, still looks the same, but when you put it on, it should feel even lighter. Stretchier is really important. People, especially when you're commuting, you're driving a car, you're in a train, you want more, uh, you, you People come in and they want to like throw football wearing it. And, you know, you see the way people move their arms. Even I sit on, we have our own store on Fifth Avenue. So sometimes we'll fly on the wall to see how customers shop. And so many men and women now are are moving when they try things on to like wear it. So we've been able to use stretchier materials, stretchier waterproof membranes, lighter materials, um, those things that, you know, if we just sold the exact same product we made eight, nine years ago, there would still be an audience, but it would be a slightly smaller audience. Now that we've been able to open it up to being a little bit lighter and easier to wear, we've been able to adapt and, and 
not reinvent ourselves. It's the same mission and it'll always be the same mission. Luxury performance wool and cashmere, you know, waterproof wool and cashmere. That is our story. But as things change in the weather or work habits, we'll, we'll adapt to what the customers want. And how does that, uh, how does that story and that mission, how does that, um, work for you as a brand when you go into, you know, slightly, slightly different, um, you know, slightly different products, right? As you expand, because I know you expanded into, into women's, uh, wear women's fashion, which is amazing. And I think that that is doing really, really well. But I also heard you would maybe do beanies and they have the same kind of mission. They have the same quality. They have the same material. So are there, are there enough? products that you can expand into or do you not even plan on expanding on the product so first on the women's side that was actually brand wise very easy product wise not so easy because <laughs> you wanted women really wanted shape our customer wanted it to be where there's still a waste um women would shop very critically to make sure there was an extra bulk so uh, they wanted the warmth. Women, in general, women's clothing is not as warm as men's. You think about it, if you go to a mm -hmm. fancy party, you could wear, a guy could wear a heavy flannel suit over a turtleneck over a t-shirt and, it, you know, all the things are warm. <laughs> and a party dress is very, very thin and you're already yeah. cold. I think scientifically women tend to run about two degrees colder than men. Um, so there were a lot of reasons why the demand in women's wear would actually be stronger. So it took a few years to develop it and we got there, but brand wise, that was, you know, the same thing we were doing for men's luxury wool and cashmere coats with a down insulation waterproof and just put it into very timeless women's silhouettes and look at who were the leading brands in terms of the most beautiful wool cashmere coats without any sort of down insulation, take their designs that, you know, are timeless designs and see how we can infuse it with all of our performance. Um, but then when you talk about brand extensions into other products, we're very, um, we're very disciplined. You have to always pass the litmus test of, is this really much better than what's out there on the market? So when you mm -hmm. talk about a cashmere beanie, That's a commodity item if it's just a cashmere beanie. Lots and lots of brands have them yep. and they're going to go on sale and you could get them for, you know, whatever price. We can't operate that way. We have to make it that it's extra special and different. So we have to put an element of windproof into our cashmere beanies because that was the number one complaint. Again, going back to what do customers actually tell us? Don't just come with preconceived notions. Ask customers And people were saying that a lot of their cashmere beanies, the wind would come through, that it was nice and soft and warm. But if it was, started having that wind chill, it would penetrate. Two, a lot of people said that they were too small, that they didn't go around their ears, that they were constantly pulling them down and that they weren't the right fit. Um, and then three, that if it got wet, that they would really get soaked. So you wanted an element mm. of wind, uh, water resistance in there as well. And, you know, that's not easy. You can't put a membrane in a knit product, but we were able to use certain coatings to make it much more water resistant. Same thing with our cashmere baseball caps, another very succession item there, by the way. But <laughs> so for all those things, if it's going to be a commodity item, if it's a silk tie, you're not going to see Norwegian will make it. If it's just nice, but a little bit better, different, you can't make it. If someone would come in and say, look, I have five other of whatever it is of X in my closet, but this one is the one that does the trick. This is the one I would wear every day. If that's for a pair of wool line shoes or a pair of, you know, um, uh, water resistant wear to work cashmere pants. You know, there's a lot of different ways you could go, but it has to be something really special. And then all these items, we're not going to make 20 different SKUs. We'll make three or four and make sure that they're really very, very special. And yes, there are, there are a bunch of other items that are actually already baking in the oven that are on brand that same idea. So that the goal is one day you could pretty much do all of your, accessory outerwear shopping in Norwegian wool for someone who appreciates that. Even summer weight things, the lightest raincoat for hot days, but something that'll keep you really warm and looking good. I'm sorry, really not too warm on summer weight stuff. So we all of those things are are on brand, but uh, staying away from the things that are not within the brand. I, th I think it's really interesting. The reason why I was I was going a little deeper into into that is usually you know pe people's people's purpose, people's mission, you know, as as a, as a company, right, is usually you know not centered around the product or the materials. And yours was so. I was questioning: Is that bulletproof? Is it future proof? And it really is. And I like I like the idea of how you're so focused. Um, this is this is what we bring into this world, and this is how we differentiate. And we're going to double down with whatever we do. 
I think it's really great. On that on that note, and as we're slowly, slowly coming closer to an end here, um, the big question: what What does branding mean to you? It's such a such a misunderstood term. What does it mean to you? I think all about emotions. I think that there's a lot more that a product or a service does for you beyond just what meets the eye. And I really think a lot about luxury branding in particular, not just for Norwegian wool, but luxury branding when it comes to wine or cars or watches and the emotions that they evoke. Uh, for us, we really think about a brand as something that to evoke an element of excitement. You know, if you have, let's say, a pair of snow tires that you just got for free, You'll have it in your garage, and if you need to put it on, you put it on, and perhaps you would prefer never to use it. For us, our customers are looking at their weather app to say, oh, tomorrow's going to be you know, cold in the morning. I can wear my Norwegian wool. I'm looking forward to it. That you're actually like, yeah. you feel better about it. And there's a lot of other products out there. Again, watches and, and wines and restaurants and travel. You're looking forward to it. Um, and that's what I think a brand could do, that it brings you into a new state of mind, that you you feel better about yourself, that you want to do something, because there, there are other things that could keep you warm, but then there are things that keep you warm and also just make you feel excited. You want to be seen. Yeah. Um, so that's what I think about when it comes to branding, like what, what, that. what yeah. emotion. Yeah, I totally, I totally love that, and and it's uh, that emotion very often comes with the experience that you that that you create and the story that you tell, um, and and all of that. Then, then in your mind, you, when when you become a part of that product, you suddenly it, it all replays in your mind, and 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 it is actually something really cool and something exciting, and it can actually bring a lot of joy to people. So that's that's how I see branding. I don't see it as something like you stick a logo on it, um, and especially talking with you, I thought it was really interesting to see what you have to say about this, where you are this quiet brand, understated brand, yet branding in itself, like the, the philosophy thereof, is so important to you to you as a company. So I think that's really, that's really important. Um, if I take the entire, um, the entire Norwegian wool brand, um, which has now been around almost 10 years um, from, the, from the beginning to now, um, if I take it through a funnel and out comes only one word or two words that can describe, you know, the entire brand, um, what, what, could it, what, what could those words be? Like for Everlane, it would be transparency, right? They're all about radical transparency. What, what could it be or what, what is it for Norwegian wool? Sure. The word that, that I would come to is for sure confidence. You know, we think about the life journey and most of our customers want to accomplish things. And that comes back to something I said earlier, that you want to have your own story. Yeah. And, and there's, it could be a lot of things. It could be in your career. For a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of accomplishment drawn for their career. But as I mentioned before, it could be your family. It could be your charity work. It could be your volunteer work. It could be, you know, just... Your, your gardening in your backyard, whatever really gives you a sense of fulfillment, but usually associated with some level of accomplishment, that you've done something, you, you have something to speak to. Um, and we all need help, boost to get there. <laughs> and we're all insecure about different things. And you, the way you're dressed is the way people are going to see you. And that's telling your story even before you open your mouth. So you want to be judged in a certain way. You want to feel better about yourself and weather and travel and all these things sort of come into contradiction with wanting to look your best. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, could sometimes make it that you feel like I'm wearing something to stay warm, but I don't want to be seen in. I remember when I only had a puffer coat before Norwegian wool in those cold <laughs> days, and I would go into uh, um, like a, 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 din a dinner or a lunch that yeah. would happen all the time. I would try to get there earlier and check in my coat or put it behind my back so people wouldn't see me wearing it. And I'm sure a lot of people can 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 understand that, that yeah. you feel like you're not properly dressed. You're not putting out your best. Yeah. Uh, for us... If you want to say one word that would, you know, make us feel proud, and I think a lot of customers feel, is this confidence. And it yeah. can even be in relationships. You're going out on a date. You're, you're, totally. you're going to Thanksgiving, and you're going to meet your potential future in-laws. 
what's that first impression you want to make yeah. when you're standing at the door as they open it? And is this something you want to be seen in? Or are you taking off your coat and hiding behind your back so that you, your, your future father-in-law looks at you and says, this guy looks good. Yeah. So it's all about confidence, confidence, confidence. And, you know, I remember after the pandemic, which now seems like a, a mighty long time ago, but the first time, the first time me and my wife went out to, to, to dinner or the theater or whatever it was, um, and we got we got back into the clothes that we used to wear all the time. <laughs> and suddenly we put on the nice jacket and the nice shoes and and we're like, wow, it's a totally different life. <laughs> like you just you just feel like so different, right? Than uh, than when you're hanging out at home in your loungewear for like all day long, sure. like we all did. So um what what's next for the Norwegian wool brand? What are you excited about in the next six months? Obviously, this is a this is a very timely question because here we are. Um, recording this in November before Black Friday and the, the holiday season and the winter season, it's all happening for you right now. But as far as like product or, you know, any any kind of, um, you know, marketing, um, you know, things coming up, is, what, what are you excited about? Sure. So very excited about we've been doing a lot of sales and a lot of selling into Europe. And that is something that opens up another big market to us. And a lot of customers, even in the U.S., are happy to hear that we're doing very well in Europe because yeah. that adds an element of sophistication. Totally. So markets like Switzerland, Austria, Germany, France, Italy, these are places that have become very, very strong markets for us. We just finished a pop-up in Rinascente, uh, one of the best stores in Milan, mm -hmm. and that was quite successful. Amazing. And you're catering to that uh, European luxury customer. So that that is a fun thing for everyone to partake in. Yeah. Um, we also are very excited because, yeah, these are the cold months coming up. This is when people get to really test out. We sell a lot of stuff very early. A lot of our customers come already August, September, um, which is nice and good for sales. But we like it when they're really able to test it out. And you're going to see a lot more in the streets. I love, you know, walking on the streets and seeing all these Norwegian walls and other customers. Oh, that must people be amazing, right? <laughs> it, it does feel great. It really does. And we do have slight, slight branding on the sleeve just for the people who need to know, know. And it's sort of like this little... A secret club that you could see it. Oh, that's a Norwegian wool. You, you know, and, um, and you sometimes will like get that head nod or that little wink that it's like two Norwegian wool guys next to each other waiting for the Metro North train or whatever it is. Um, and then we, we launched some new lines this year that are very exciting. It's our first time to have a peacoat. Uh, that was actually hard because peacoats have been around forever. Tons of brands do it. Uh, it's very, very timeless, that double-breasted look, but they're not conducive to being performance. It's a very open chest, um, very simple. The double-breasted thing doesn't necessarily lend itself to closures for you know, keeping out the cold air. So we really have to analyze, how do you keep it to look like your classic peacoat? But get all those things we usually put in, down, waterproof, a neck that closes really well, hand pockets that are extra deep. Peacoats very often have very shallow pockets because the way the buttons get in the way of the pocket placement, they can't be that deep. So that was like a fun challenge and it's off to a strong start and we're doing it just in the classic navy and black. Um, and we hope to launch a women's peacoat next year because of the initial success we're having so far. So it's fun to see something you've been working on for a few years come to life and seeing customers trying it on and, and, and liking it. Um, so those are some of the things we're really excited about. We even have this other coat. I think that um, this one, it's, we call it our hooded Euro coat. Our Euro coat is one of our most classic most uh, uh one of our strongest sellers we do it in every color we do it in every fabric wool wool silk wool cashmere pure cashmere so every price point but uh there was a customer that really wanted like a performance hood but hoods sometimes could detract from that a little bit more of that elegant look yeah so we have to work in this secretive hood that was a real hood. It's a downline hood, Super but you cool. can't really see it. And then you could actually hide it in the coat itself. But we're not talking about some paper thin. Those things, again, really exciting and off to a strong start. And I think when you try it on, you're like, oh, my gosh, I understand all that that went into it. They may not understand all the blood, sweat and tears and pulling out your hair along the way. But at least conceptually, they get what we were trying to do <laughs> and how successfully we achieved that. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm glad that you moved, uh, moved your careers because uh, you're so you're, you're so passionate about about what what you do that you're constantly the best salesperson ever. <laughs> it's like I think there's no one listening right now who, who doesn't want a Norwegian uh, will um, you know, coat or jackets. So um, 
Absolutely awesome. We're talking about which. Where, where can people get to know um, Norwegian Wool? Where can they follow either either you personally on social or or the brand? Sure. So we are sold in a bunch of different places. There's some great stores around the country that that sells and around the world. But we do recommend if you want the full experience, come to our website, NorwegianWool.com. Come to our store in, in Fifth Avenue. If you're living in the New York area or coming through, we're open seven days a week. We have every style here in our store. So it's the best selection. And we really pride ourselves in having very good customer service. So if you come to our website and you have questions, there's a live chat function. We have put a lot of money into this interactive guide. We make a lot of coats already. So if you just oh, answer yeah, the question, yeah. it'll sort of tell you what our top three choices are. You have no idea how much like beta testing we did on that, where we would go through the five questions with customers before we would get to the final page, which gave the answers. We would ask all of our team, what would you, if you were really speaking to them and we, what answers would you give, which are the top three and in what order? And we, it took a lot of strategy to really understand again, what questions matter to people. Are you wearing this while sitting down? Are you commuting with it? Or are you wearing it mostly walking outside where you would like it to be longer? Is this something where you really just care about max warmth? Or do you care a little bit more about that versatility like we touched upon before? Really just trying to understand and then, you know, based on that, giving our suggestions. So if you come to our site or come to our store, I hope you get that full experience. But you can even write to us either on Instagram or Facebook or on our website and just tell us what zip code or what country you're in. And we'll try to find you something local if you want to try things on. Um, we really try to put a lot into the whole customer service. We A lot of people are buying for gifts. And that's hard because you want to surprise someone. So you don't have all their measurements. You don't have something will fit. But you also don't want it to be returned. You don't want it just to sit in a closet. So um, we do training sessions with our people all the time. What are the questions to ask a customer if they're buying for their girlfriend, they're buying for their boyfriend, they're buying for their kid? Uh, my son is starting a graduate school in the University of Michigan and is going to go on interviews, but I know if it doesn't fit, he'll never wear it. But I, if I'm spending 2000 bucks, I want him to wear it all the time. Not a problem here. Let's answer all these questions, mm-hmm. you know, go into his closet, whatever it is, we work with you. So that's the experience we try to give that's special. And in any of those platforms, our site, our store, or our social, you should hopefully find that uh, that that experience is there for you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Michael, this was this was a really inspiring uh, conversation. I, I, I love I love your stance and, and your, your brand stance on, on on quiet luxury and how it came uh, about so organically and naturally. Um, th- thanks for thanks for your time and thanks for sharing your stories. My absolute pleasure, and Fabian, it's a pleasure to join with you. You ask really, really thoughtful questions that took me back through my journey, things that I like to think about, we continue to think about. So it's just a great, great pleasure to be with you. Appreciate it. Michael Berkowitz and the quiet luxury brand that came out of nowhere to take New York City and succession by storm. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, you know I say it every time. But please rate the show and share the show with someone who you think would benefit from it. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited, as usual, by Everett Barton. And the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by the one and only Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.